right. Don't get Don fired up in the first row over there. <laughs> the leaves start falling. We get crazy, right, Don? Yeah. Ubats. We're in Galatians chapter 5 this morning, part 8 of our series on the fruits of the Spirit. And we're going to look at the last fruit of the Spirit in the list. And I usually make sure that the ushers have the doors blocked before I announce it. But the last one is self-control. Pastor Mike's heading for the door. So we're in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 16 through 25. Um, get context. You're going to hear about the works of the flesh and some important principles. But in verse 22, you're going to hear the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is uh, part 8 of our series, so you've heard this a bunch. It should be resonating in you by now. You should be getting used to this. But allow the Holy Spirit to continue to open up this text but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire or the deeds of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh, excuse me, is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those that practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well. So the list there concludes with the last fruit. We looked at love, two parts, joy, peace, patience. We put kindness, goodness, and gentleness together as one package of dealing with our fellow man. We looked at faithfulness last week, and now we're going to touch on self-control. Self-control may be the last fruit of the Spirit listed, but it is certainly not the least. In fact, without self-control, it's hard to express the other fruits of the Spirit in a way that have the impact that was designed. We have to control ourselves so that God can flow through us with love and with gentleness and with peace. All of that hinges on our ability to control self. Now, this is an important fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because when we talk about self-control, we're really talking about our number, spiritual, a number one spiritual enemy. Do you know your number one spiritual enemy is not society, it's not the culture, it's not the devil, it's not your mom, it's not your mother-in-law, hello. If you want to know who your number one spiritual enemy is, get a mirror and look in it. Ah, there I am. The older I get, I don't look in the back, Johnny, I just stay away. Barbara showed me the back of my hair one time after a haircut, I didn't even tip him, I was so mad things missing back there, Pastor Mike. But you look in the mirror, and there it is. There's your number one spiritual enemy, yourself. We tend to blame everything on everybody, even God, but it's us. 
We short-circuit ourselves. We sabotage ourselves. We quit on ourselves. And all of this has to do with us having the self-control to control ourselves. That number one spiritual enemy, self, has to be dealt with and he has to be mastered. Once we learn to control ourselves, so many positive spiritual and practical things become possible for us. See, this self-control, this concept of self-control, it's not just spiritual, it's practical too. When we can control ourselves, there are just things that it's going to be a blessing to everyone around us. You know, husbands and wives, when you know your spouse can restrain themselves and control themselves, it it brings peace and stability to your marriage. There are practical things, there are spiritual things, and they all hinge on self-control. Now, how does the fruit of the Spirit of self-control differ from patience? Many times we look at some of these fruits of the Spirit or some of these lists that God puts in the Word, and we kind of see, like, at first glance, it seems like there's overlap. Well, self-control is like, it's exactly like patience. It's the same thing. No, it's different. Listen, patience is us waiting peacefully on God to do what only God can do. That's where we need patience, to wait peacefully. For what? For God to do what only God can do. But self-control is not us waiting for somebody to do something. Self-control is us warring against the impulsiveness of our own fallen nature. It's us going to war against the desires of our flesh and learning to subdue the flesh, to nail it to the cross, and to have control over ourselves. So what's the biblical definition of self-control? Well, I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Scripture speaks of self-control and expresses it in the forms of temperance, restraint, moderation, and in some cases, abstinence. So when you think about this concept of self-control, look, the Bible's going to mention places where we need self-control, and and that phrase might not be there. Sure, it's in Scripture, but everywhere the, the Bible talks about temperance or restraint or moderation. Do you know moderation is the key to many things in life, and you need self-control to, be, to moderate certain things. Look, I can't be left alone with certain cakes. Because I, the, the, I don't have the self-control. You feeling me, man? Like peanut butter, too? Eat the whole jar with a spoon? You know, there's certain things. My wife buys these certain cakes. I'm not supposed to eat them, Ricky. She brings them home. I'm just thinking, you know, there's half a box of these little beautiful, uh, you know, apple streusel little bite-sized. They're bite-sized, Tony. I can't, what could it hurt? They're like vitamins. You know, you just think. But I look at it. There's like six left, and I'm just like, I'm going to eat them all to get it over with because I'm not going to last. So I eat them all. Self-control, moderation, restraint. The struggle is real. And, you know, we can all relate to that. So the Bible talks about temperance and restraint and moderation, and in some cases, abstinence, that we should just avoid doing certain things altogether. There's certain things that some people can handle that I can't handle. There's certain things that you can handle. That, and and the, that's why we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. This Christianity thing isn't a one-size-fits-all. We've got to work it out. You can handle that. I can't handle that. You can, you can be alone with chocolate cake. God bless you. I can't. So, you know, it's this idea of controlling ourselves. And when we look at Scripture, and specifically at the Greek word used in this text for self-control, we see that it's 
igrateo, and so it's a compound Greek word. It's made up of en, which means in, and kratos, which means strength and power. So I want you to get this. The Greek word that's used here, translated for self-control, means to be, to have strength or power over ourselves. I'm in strength. I'm in control of what? Of me. So we got to remember that. Kratos, we need that strength. We need that power over ourselves. And, and, and when we do have that, then we come from a position of being able to, you know, control ourselves in a way that allows God to use us and bless us and keep us. Ever seen a person who had lost all control of themselves? Come on, we've all seen that. You know, a lot of times with our celebrity based, put everybody on a pedestal, everybody's a hero culture. You know, when you're that person and you mess up, you're under the magnifying glass, you're in the spotlight, you think about sports stars or music stars or Hollywood, you know, when, when their lives implode, everybody gets a front row seat to see it all. We've seen lots of people out of control, marriages destroyed, infidelity, hooked on drugs, substance abuse, suicide. We've seen that. In fact, Marilyn Monroe, who was idolized by the culture of the day, they put her on a pedestal, and, and some people in our, in our generation still idolize her, even though her life was tragic. She lived a life that spiraled out of control for decades, a downward spiral that ended in a drug-induced suicide. She described herself this way in her own words. She said, I'm selfish, I'm impatient, a little insecure, I make lots of mistakes, and I'm out of control and at times hard to handle. Why would we idolize that? Why would we celebrate that? Ladies, why would you want to copy that? The world is a broken mess. We should have compassion on the broken, but we need to offer them Christ, not put those things on a pedestal. Why? Because we see how out of control people are. Have you ever been in a state where you had to admit, I'm out of control? Now it got quieter. When I said, you ever seen the world out of control? Amen. You ever been out of control? <laughs> We've all been out of control. Uh, you know, the more you know a person, the more you're around them, the more you've seen the moments in their life where they were out of control. If you're married, you've definitely seen your spouse out of control. <laughs> Have you driven together? <laughs> so there's times when we're in a state of being out of control, and here's what I want to point out about that. It's usually really hard for us to admit the fact that, yeah, I'm out of control, I have no self-control in this area. And, you know, most of us, instead of admitting it, first we try denial. Oh, no, you know, I'm fine. I got control of it. How many times have you heard the alcoholic, the drug addict say, I'm fine. I can stop whenever I want. You know, I'm in, I'm in control. It's just a little. It's just a little weed. It's just a little Coke. It's just, you know, I mean, it's just recreational. It just get too real in here. And so we try denial, and then we make excuses. Well, you know, I got this issue, or I got PTSD, or I got a medical problem, or, you know, and then we justify it. Well, you know, uh, it's okay because blah, 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 and then we blame others, and there's the downward spiral there that keeps us stuck. First, before we can get control of ourselves, we have to admit where we're out of control. And take the plastic smiles off and the, and the facade and just be like, man, I'm a hot mess, and I need help. I guess 
It's funny. I can see some people are still not getting, you don't want to be real about that. We don't know what you're talking about. So there's the denial, and there's the excuses, and there's the blaming of others. But the first step to freedom is admitting we're not free. The prophetic words we had this morning about being delivered from bondage and the chains and how God wants to set us free, what Sister Danielle and Brother Tom brought to us, go exactly along with what I'm preaching this morning. That's not an accident this morning. That's the Holy Spirit trying to get our attention. The first step to freedom is admitting we're not free and then appealing to God to forgive us and to intervene in our mess. God, I I can't control myself, and no matter how hard I try, it's not by my grit or my determination or by the decision of my own will, but I need you to step in and intervene and develop the fruit of the spirit of self-control in me because I have appetites and I have agendas and I have things about me that I desire that I, I can't control. Got a habit, got a bad attitude, I'm asking, anybody got it? No. (laughs) Are you stuck in a pattern, a negative pattern? You've got to admit it before you can quit it. We've got to get real with God and just throw ourselves at his feet at some point. What does self-control look like in the life of a believer? Galatians 5.17 gives us a lot of insight. We've read this text over and over again. This is part eight of our sermon series. So we've heard this. We've bathed our spirits in it. It should be connecting with us on, on a spiritual level. It gives us some insight, and it vividly documents the internal struggle, that clash within us between the flesh and the spirit. Listen to what verse 17 says of Galatians 5, our text. For the desire of the flesh is against, say against, the spirit, and the spirit is, say against, against the flesh. Listen, for these are in opposition to one another. They're clashing. Why? In order to keep you from doing whatever you want. We're going to dig into this a little bit, but there's a principle here. Why is there an internal struggle? Why? Because those of us who are in Christ, they're born again, we are filled with the Spirit of God. Now the Spirit of God is in us, but we are still wrapped in, guess what? Flesh. And flesh still has appetites, and it has things that it has affinities toward. I mean, when we got born again, it would be nice if we were totally free from the flesh. But Paul knew, he knew we'd never be free from the flesh on this side of heaven. But he would say things like, who will deliver me from this body of sin? The apostle Paul saying this, which, you know, if we think of Paul, you know, is feeling this struggle, how much more real is it for us? Rank and file Christians, not super apostle. You know, and here's Paul, and he's saying, who will deliver me from this body of sin? What's that all about? That's all about him acknowledging the fact that his flesh wars against his spirit. He articulates it many times in his, in his letters to the church. And so here we are stuck with this internal clash. The desire of the flesh is against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And there's this bumping and this, this clashing. And then it gives the purpose in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. So we're going to take a look at that. It's the flesh versus the spirit all day. Who's playing in the game today? Flesh versus the spirit. When we wake up every day, that's why we need a daily walk with God. 
Listen, saints, our walk with God is not Sunday. It's not Sunday Christianity. It's not once in a while Wednesday Christianity. It's an everyday Christianity, amen? It's a daily walk. That's why we need daily devotions. Daily, we need to repent of our sins, to ask God, according to the Lord's Prayer, to forgive others so we can be forgiven, to give us this day our daily bread. It's a daily walk to daily crucify, nail those desires to the cross. Why do we need to do that? Here's why. Because Christians, like all human beings, do we have any human beings here this morning? First service was about half, half you. Looks like it was only a third of this service, human beings. But we're all human beings. We all have human nature. None of us are free from it. Christians, like all human beings, struggle with maintaining the self-restraint, listen, to simply stop when it's time to stop. That's what self-control is about, being able to stop when it's time to stop, not to cross the line that we know is not pleasing to God. God's not saying you can't have fun and you can't laugh and you, you, you can't enjoy life and you can't, you know, eat a meal that's not good for you once in a while. And, you, you know, he's, he's not saying you got to do that. that. That's just not balance. It's kind of weird and nobody can do it. But what he's saying is you need to be able to stop when it's time to stop. And that takes self-control. I was telling first service when Pastor Mike and I were in school, we were part of a class. You know me, you know Pastor Mike if you know us. We're very reserved and laid back, and we never laugh, and we're always serious. There was probably like 10 other guys like us at school that we hung out with in a pack. And let me tell you something. We had fun. I I remember going to bed. I remember throwing people out of my room because my cheeks hurt from laughing. Get out. I got to go to sleep. We had so much fun, but the deans came to us one day, and they say, you guys, you guys are wild, and you, you have fun, but you know when to stop. They said this new class, this new generation that we got in, they don't know where to stop. And they crossed the line into sin, into the works of the flesh. And just sitting there with that administrator who's passed away since now, Brother Stacy Klein, a beautiful man of God, just he was lamenting the fact that the new generation didn't know where to stop. Look, you can have fun, you can be real, you can enjoy life, but you gotta be able to stop when it's time to stop. We're all constantly tempted all day long to overeat, overdrink, overspend, overindulge, overestimate ourselves, and on and on it goes. Over, 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 to go over the line. Self-control is about us being able to stop before we go over the lines that we know are not pleasing to God. Verse 16 and 18 show the believer three ways that we can control ourselves. And that's the point of the drill this morning, that we can develop the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, it's a work of the Spirit. We're not going to do this in our own strength. But to develop the fruit of the Spirit to control ourselves, to have power over ourselves. And verse 16 and 18 in our text of Galatians 5, they, they give us three ways that we can do that. Number one, the first way a believer can control themselves is by walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. Those are two phrases that are in there. Listen to verse 16. You've heard it 
countless times, but I say, what? Walk in the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So there it is. Simply by us doing what we're supposed to be doing, we have less time to do what we shouldn't be doing. Anybody know what idle, idleness brings? <laughs> when you got too much time on your hands? You ever look at somebody and they're like, they got too much time on their hands. They got time to get in all kinds of trouble, be in other people's business, be involved in everything that's, you know, that's not their concern. You know what I found out a long time ago? I found out I should let God show me what my business is and then mind it. How does that happen? That happens by getting out of the flesh and into the spirit and learning to walk in the spirit. Simply, if we're doing our own thing, our own way, in our own strength, our flesh is out front. You got to hear what I'm saying today. When we're doing our own thing, our own way, in our own strength, then our flesh is out front. And if our flesh is out front, we're never going to walk in the spirit. We got to stop doing our own thing and do God's thing. We got to stop doing it our own way and do it God's way. We got to stop doing it in our own strength and do it in the power and the might of the Holy Spirit. It's resurrection power. It's Holy Ghost power. It's not grit and determination and our own piousness and our own willingness to, you know, stop. Because the flesh never wants to stop. It always wants more. Do you notice that anytime we're driven by lust, there's always more. No matter how much you have, more, more, bigger, better, more. I got one, I want two. I got two, I want three. And the Amazon packages just keep coming. <laughs> you, you, the driver, he gives you a Christmas card. You, you know him by name every day. More, more, more. And it's piled up in your attic. It's piled up in your garage. So we walk in the spirit and not in the flesh because if our flesh is out front, we're not gonna be able to control it. It'll never work. Number two, the second way a believer can control himself is this, by embracing the purpose of the internal conflict that's in us. We've looked at this verse and it describes that, that clash, that internal struggle for the desire of the flesh, verse 17 says, is against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. They bang heads constantly, but there's a purpose to them in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. You see, the clash is there for a reason. And we all know about the clash. Why? Because if you love Jesus, you want to please God. And you know what? Your flesh does not want to please God. So every day we got to be like, either I'm going to please me or I'm going to please God. And there's a fight. And so you say, well, why do I have to have this? Why am I like this? You know, it's got to be my parents' fault. It's got to be genetics or DNA or environment. I don't, you know, there's this, this, I just can't get it together. The struggle is there for a reason. And it says it in the text. It's there so we don't do whatever we want. You know, it's a reminder to restrain ourselves. If, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't just surrendered your life to the Christ, you're walking in the flesh. You say, well, how could you know that? Because it's our default setting. We have no other choice. There's no spiritual pagans, right? When, when, I was, when I wasn't a Christian, I wasn't out there, let's see what wondrous things I can do for the kingdom of God today. No, I was like, who's got the beer and who's got the car and where are we going and how much trouble are we going to get in? Sorry, mom and dad, but, you know, it, it wasn't there. That's right. 
But now that I'm in Christ, now that you're in Christ, we, we want to please him. We sing beautiful songs in worship, amen. I, I, can't barely, I can barely hold myself together, you know, while we're worshiping God because it's so beautiful, so pure, amen. And, and when we're in God's presence, man, we want to please God. But when we walk out of here, it's Monday, driving to work. I don't want to, I don't, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep myself under control. But, you know, all of a sudden we forget about the presence of God and the, and the beauty of that. And, the, and then the flesh is right there. God help us. We've got to learn to control those things so we can be spiritually productive. And that's what the internal struggle is about. So that we don't just do whatever we want. We got the Holy Spirit there convicting us and teaching us and, and warning us. Don't do it. Don't cross that line. Don't say it. Don't no, don't roll the window down and put your hand. Don't don't do it. Don't think it. You're with your wife. Don't say it. Restraint. That's the point of the struggle. Not that God just likes to dump something on us and go, <laughs> see how you make out with that. No, to restrain us. So embrace the internal conflict and listen, uh, feed the side of the spirit and starve the side of the flesh so that the, the flesh will not prevail against the spirit. And then we won't do whatever we want. I have a news flash for us this morning. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Amen. We don't just do whatever we want. We do his will. We live a life that's pleasing to him. We produce the fruit of the spirit and we avoid the deeds of the flesh. Number three, the third way a Christian can control themselves is by walking in the spirit, by uh, understanding the internal struggle is to keep us from doing whatever we want. And number three, by not practicing the works of the flesh. Now, you and I get a vote on this stuff. We don't have to sin. We don't have to give ourselves over to sin. Scripture says that we shouldn't yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness, Paul says, right? Yeah. So I know that in our own strength, you and I can't stop sinning. We can't uh, totally eliminate it from our lives. But let's be real. We can stop doing a lot of the things that we give ourselves license to do. The difference between giving ourselves over to sin and struggling against it is what makes us Christians. Before we came to Christ, we didn't struggle against sin. We gave ourselves over to it, and we tried to invent better ways to do it. We used technology. We got around a certain crowd of people. We, we figured, let's see how far we could push this stuff. But then you come to Christ, and you're like, man, I don't want that anymore. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be with the vulgarity. I don't want to get drunk. I don't want to be high. I don't want to be carousing in some stupid club with broken people. I, I don't want that. <laughs> I want what I feel when I'm in the presence of God, worshiping the Lord with my brothers and sisters. Amen. I want that. And that's the point here is that we, we struggle against it. We resist it and we decide I'm not going to do what I always did. I'm going to yield myself to God and I'm going to rest on the strength of the Holy Spirit to live a different life. 
You say, well, why do we need to do that? Look what it says here in the text. This is powerful, and I think we miss it a lot in verse, 18, in verse 17, where it says, in order that we, we keep from doing whatever we want, and then it says, but if you're led by the Spirit, did you hear that? If. If you're, now you could be a Christian, you could be born again, you could be in attendance at church every time the doors are open and still not be led by the Spirit. But listen, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Pause. Before we came to Christ, we were under the law. What does that mean? The wrath of God was revealed against all the unrighteousness in our life to convict us of sin so that we'd repent and come to him and be saved. Now, once we get saved, we can't go back to our sin. Otherwise, what? We're under the law again. We're not supposed to be under the law. We're under grace now. We should walk in grace. But you can't walk in sin and enjoy his amazing grace. So when we do as Christians, when we give ourselves over to sin, now we're under the law again. And what's that like? What a drag. We feel dirty. We feel unworthy. We feel constantly accused. And the enemy constantly attacks us. You're this. You're a hypocrite. You're that. Come on. Anybody getting this today? I'm, t I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm your friend. Don't get mad at me. I'm in sales. He's in management. Don't get mad at me. Right? So we, I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be drunk. I'm going to carouse. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push the envelope. Well, you're going to be under the law. And you're going to be one of the most miserable Christians to walk the face of the earth. Do you know a compromised Christian is the most miserable Christian? They're not happy in church. They're not happy with the world. They're stuck in the middle in between, and they're not happy at all. Am I going to go to heaven? Yeah, salvation's a free gift, but you're going to have a hell of a time getting to heaven because you're under the law again. And it's not going to be a fun trip. Huh. Some of you are, welcome to Full Gospel Center. The pastor's Italian. God's working on him. So we walk in the Spirit. We embrace the eternal conflict. We, we allow the Holy Spirit to restrain ourselves. And we don't just do what we want. And then we don't willingly give ourselves over to the flesh. Fight against it. Starve it. Feed your spirit, and your spirit will prevail. I'm going to close this morning with two Proverbs that highlight the value of God's people having self-control. You know, Proverbs are, from a theological perspective, they're what's called pith tersi maxims. They're little, powerful, short statements that have a real powerful punch. Amen. So listen to these two Proverbs and get the principles that are tucked in here. Proverbs 25, 28. If you're taking notes today, Proverbs 25, 28. Short, sweet, and powerful. Listen, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Now, let's dig into that and unpack the meaning there. A city with broken walls, especially at the time when scripture was written, all the cities had walls. Why? Because that was their only means of security. A city without walls could not stop anyone from infiltrating it, sacking it, stealing from it, and even subduing it. If your city didn't have walls, any, any band of whoever coming around could just take it over, could loot it, could sack it, could steal it. So the scripture is telling us when we don't have self-control, we're exactly like that, a city without walls. So we get abused by those who mean us harm. We get abused and looted and ripped off by the enemy. 
How many of us, you know, because we couldn't control ourselves or we made decisions or we, we did actions that we opened the door wide open to the enemy? And what does he do? He marches right in and he pillages us. Self-control will keep the walls around your life to protect you from all the enemies on the external so that the Holy Spirit on the inside can do the perfecting work of sanctifying us into the image of Jesus Christ. A city with broken walls is defenseless. And we get abused by the enemy when we're defenseless. God never meant us to be defenseless. He meant for us to have the fruit of the spirit of self-control so that we can protect what is precious on the inside. Proverbs 16, 32. It is better to be patient than powerful. It is better to win control over yourself than over whole cities. The King James articulated away and says, it's better to be able to control yourself than to be able to take cities. So they're talking about military people who have power and armies and the ability to conquer cities. The, the text is saying it's better to be someone who can conquer themselves than someone who can conquer cities. And I want to I dig in here a little bit so we get exactly what's going on. There's two parts of this proverb that affirm the value of self-control. The first is this. It's better to be patient than powerful. That, we got to get that inside us. Many powerful, powerful people who have all kinds of clout and influence and finances and, and stature, many powerful people are undone by their lack of patience and their lack of self-control. We can see it throughout history. I could give you a bunch of examples if we had time, but people who had everything going for them, sitting in a place of authority, yet they couldn't control themselves, and in the end, they produced no legacy at all. Understand something today. It's not, you know, we see people who are talented, who have ability, who have influence, who have gifts all the time that produce nothing eternal. It takes self-control to allow those gifts to produce fruit that lasts. So it's better to be patient. It's better to have self-control than to be powerful. Let's remember that in a world that is drunken in its lust for power and accolades and authority and all of these things, it's better for us to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us to control ourselves. The second half of Proverbs 16, it's better to win control over yourself than to take city. So I gave you the, the insight to what that, the implications are there. It's talking about military people who can conquer cities, saying that, you know, some general who can wipe out a whole city, the person who can control themselves is better off than them if they can't control themselves. Now, it's okay to be powerful. It's okay to do exploits for God. It's, it's okay to do achievements in the, in the body of Christ. We were made for that. But if we can't control ourselves not only will it be impossible to accomplish the call of God on our lives, it will be unsustainable if somehow, some way we do accomplish it. You see, the thing that sustains the accomplishments that we have in Christ is our ability to control ourselves. How many people have destroyed their lives with one idle word, with one impulsive action, with one night of adultery, with one misguided step in finances, shattered their lives? What's that all about? No self-control. They could conquer a city. They could conquer the corporate world. They can conquer the financial world, but they couldn't control themselves. 
That's why God wants to give us this fruit of the Spirit. He wants us to be able to control ourselves, and it's not by our own strength or our own grit or our own goodwill. No, it's by the Spirit of God. The fruits of the Spirit are a work of the Spirit. I conclude with this story today. The importance of a person having the ability to control themselves and delay their own instant gratification was shown in a study that was done all the way back in 1960 by a psychologist named Walter Michel at a preschool in Stanford University. Michel did this study. He took children and he put them in a room and he said, you can have one marshmallow now or you can wait while I run a quick errand and then you can have two marshmallows. Some of the preschoolers instantly grabbed a marshmallow and ate it but others waited for what seemed like an eternity to them. It was only 20 minutes. They waited, and when the examiner came back, they had two marshmallows. To sustain themselves, the ones who chose to wait did things like cover their eyes so they couldn't look at the marshmallows. <laughs> they rested their heads on their arms. They talked to themselves. They sang songs to themselves, and some of them even tried to go to sleep. The interesting part of the study came in the follow-up. The children who at four years old were able to wait for two marshmallows were as adolescents still able to delay their own gratification in pursuing their goals. They were more socially competent, assertive, and better able to cope with stress in life. In contrast, the kids who grabbed the marshmallow and ate it immediately, when they were adolescents, they were stubborn, indecisive, and stressed out by everything in life. It's hard to argue with the results of that study. But in concluding this morning, I ask you this question. Are you a one marshmallow or a two marshmallow Christian? <laughs> Let's bow our heads today. Father, we pray that you would teach us self-control by the working of your Holy Spirit. Father, we realize that in and of ourselves, we, we have no ability to master ourselves. If we could master ourselves, we could save ourselves, but we needed a savior because none of those things are possible because we are uh, the inheritors of a sinful, fallen nature. And so we rest in the arms of Jesus and ask the Spirit of God to teach us to control ourselves so that we will be able to be useful in your hands, that we'll be able to be a light to the next generation, so that we'll be able to understand the internal struggle is to restrain us, and that we can produce this fruit of the Spirit that points to heaven. Because without God, it's impossible to exercise self-control in a way that it, it marks our character. So God, teach us today by your spirit. Allow these fruits of the spirit and particularly the fruit of self-control to be evident in your people in this day. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's give him praise this morning.